In the Psalms, David said, I was glad when they said to me, we will go to the house of the Lord. And hearing your voices and being nourished by these words um, in the presence of people that I just love, uh, all this in heaven too. Amen? Amen. Good morning, everyone. And I'm just so uh, grateful to get to worship with you today here at Windsor. Road Christian Church. My name is Randy, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. If you're new here, um, we're glad that you're here. Very quickly, we want you to feel at home uh, with our church family. And I'm going to be in a place called the Fireside Room. I mentioned this weekly, but we do that intentionally because we want uh, we just want to extend hospitality, and we'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear your story. I'm going to be uh, through these glass doors, and to the right is a room called the Fireside Room. And I'd love to meet you uh, for a few moments and uh, um, pray with you if you so desire. Um, We're just glad that you're here. Um, So we are in a series of messages on what the Bible teaches us about emotions. So we're uh, learning about the emotional life. And uh, we have uh, been on quite a journey. We've learned that uh, the emotional life is a gift from God to move us to Christ. So emotions really are about movement, emote, uh, movere, the Latin, to move, to move from where we are toward Christ. And we've learned that the God that we worship is an emotional God, but he's not moody. And we've learned that you really can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature because we really are body, mind, soul, human beings. We just, doesn't, we just don't divide up uh, into those compartments. We're together. We're, we're whole. And um, so today, we're going to focus on nourishing healthy emotions, nourishing healthy emotions. Now, if you're wondering why this topic matters, Um, I'd like for you to watch this video. What a startling video. Um, And what a, and what a remarkable young man. Um, Two comments. First, after seeing a video like that, there is a temptation um, to say to oneself, Well, I'm glad I'm not like that. I could never picture myself reacting that way. And in reality, I could very easily see myself reacting that way. Oh, maybe not on the ball diamond of a seven-year-old Little League game, but maybe on some other field, you know, a theological field, or a way of doing ministry field. Or a, or a political field. <laughs> Think about it. If something like this happens at a Little League game, we're about to head into an election cycle. I mean, we need to pray. We need to pray. The second comment I have is this. I doubt if any of those parents woke up that morning thinking they'd be in a brawl. It just happened. And yet it didn't just happen. Everything up to that point in their lives 
had conditioned them to do what they did under those circumstances. So the activities and the habits and the rituals that they had been doing all their lives before that prepared them to respond the way they responded in that moment. So the question is this. What activities or rituals or attitudes need to be starved in my life lest I take the field in a fit of rage? And then what other activities and rituals and attitudes need to be nourished in my heart and life with intentionality so that I can respond with the maturity of a 13-year-old? How do we nourish healthy emotions? That's where we're going today. So take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24. You'll find that on page 546 of your church Bibles. And I have two verses that I want to read from Proverbs 24. And then I want to read the scripture we just saw on the screen. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. And in both of these verses, Proverbs and Philippians, we learn... We learned the principle of intentional, deliberate, consistent attention. We're going to take that principle and then apply it to nourishing healthy emotions. Proverbs 24, 30 and 31. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is God's word. Now, in my own imaginative fantasy, in my fantasy world, I wake up every morning and I feel good because I had one of those all night long flying dreams. You ever had one of those? Yeah, they're light and airy, and you, you wake up happy and pleasant and grateful you didn't crash. And In my fantasy land, I am fit without having to work out. I'm educated without having to study. Uh, I'm proficient without practicing. I shoot par without going to the driving range. I have self-parenting children, and I work at a self-pastoring church in my fantasies. In my fantasies, I drive on roads paid for by other people who choose not to use them. Okay? Proverbs chapter 24 reminds us that life is no fantasy. Life is a vineyard. And vineyards are not self-grooming. Vineyards require attention. 
Left alone, vineyards devolve and deteriorate. Left alone, weeds appear. Walls crumble. Thistles take over. One of you once told me, Randy, rust never sleeps. Now, in the same way, healthy, godly emotions don't just happen. They, they take time and grace. They require cultivation and nourishment. In fact, it takes an enormous amount of cultivation and nourishment. And so we're heading, we're, we're heading toward the big idea, which is this. Healthy emotions happen through love-shaped habits. Healthy emotions happen through love-shaped habits. Think with me for a moment. What practices and rituals start your day? Even this morning. Many of us have adopted daily habits without even thinking about it. And our morning ritual may start with coffee or breakfast or, uh, you know, we check our email or get on Facebook or Twitter or read the newspaper. If anthropologists from outer space came to our planet and observed us hunching over our smartphones, they might interpret that as some religious devotion to a mystical device. What if those rituals are not just something you do? What if those rituals are doing something to you? What if those rituals are shaping how you think and how you feel and how you act? And more importantly, what you love. What if the healthy emotions that we all so desperately want come not by passively waiting, but as a result of deliberate, intentional, love-shaped habits actively pursued through practice and repetition? Healthy emotions come from knowing and trusting and deepening our love for Christ. And so nourishing healthy emotions come from cultivating our love for Jesus and nourishing our love for Christ. And thus the question, how do we do that? How do we nourish our love for Christ? And so I have two verbs for us to consider, or two types of verbs. Uh, starve and nourish. Weed and cultivate. You know, something we clear out, and then something else we plant. So let's talk about starving and weeding and clearing out first. We need to starve unhealthy perspectives about the emotional life. Starve unhealthy perspectives about the emotional life. And there are four. And the first is this. I am my emotions. I am my emotions. We need to starve that thinking. Uh, you know, we, of course, when intense emotions come, they can consume our attention and rent space in our brains and just kind of occupy our interior space. That said, no one can be reduced to how they feel. Your, your emotions are not the most important thing about you. You are more than your feelings. Uh, emotions are not the final authority on what is true or worthy of value. Rather, they, they tell us what we think is true and what we value. Our, our emotions don't necessarily tell us the facts about a situation, 
Rather, they tell us our interpretation of the facts. And likewise, our emotions don't always tell us what the right values are, but they tell us how much we are concerned about certain things. And our feelings are, are true indicators of our beliefs and our values, but not always what is ultimately true or of ultimate value. And thus we need to submit our, our beliefs and our thinking and our emotions and our values to the truth of God's word. So say no to thinking and acting as if you are your emotions. That's the first unhealthy perspective. The second is this. It's, it sounds something like this. I feel, therefore, I must act right now. Now, of course, if a car is bearing down on you, your emotions are going to scream, get out of the way, and you'd better. You should act. But in relationships, um, you know, we typically need to slow down and not speed up. So if you're feeling emotionally pressured, slow down and ask this question. What does this emotional pressure mean? What, does, what is this emotional pressure saying about me, about my neighbor, about God? So think of, think of your emotions as a sort of sixth sense. Why do you have more than one sense? Taste, touch, smell, sight, hear. Well, they serve as a check and a balance for the others, right? So you might read the expiration date on a milk jug, but you really won't know if the milk is sour until you smell it. You still not sure? Taste it. See? <laughs> and your emotions shouldn't operate independently either. Involve them with your other senses. Involve them with the truth of the Bible. Involve them with the wisdom of godly brothers and sisters in a local church community. Listening to your emotions is not the same as agreeing with your emotions. It just means becoming emotionally literate. It means trying to understand why they're there and learning to interpret them. The third unhealthy perspective we need to weed out is this. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Well, with all respect, how do you know you shouldn't be feeling this way? <laughs> I mean, if you've had relational trauma in the past, you may feel anxious when you have to say no to someone. And then on top of that, you feel shame for that anxiety. So it's kind of a double-decker. You've got, you know, the anxiety and then the shame on top of the anxiety. But is that really a sign of immaturity? Let's say you walk down a country road and a, and a dog bit you. Well, the next time you go walking down a country road and see a dog, you're probably going to be anxious. You're probably going to ask, is this dog safe or not? Do I want to proceed? What do I want to do? That's not immature. That's wisdom. So you meet a person who evokes anxiety. Well, let that make you curious. Slow down and explore that curiosity. You know, I know how people act. I know how much they can hurt. I'm going to slow down until I get to know this person. Is this person doing something that signals danger? Is this person doing something that signals danger? That's an important question. And then the fourth unhealthy perspective, I, I just call it all or nothing. All or nothing. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be just peachy if we could just take anger, anxiety, and fear and just put them in one camp and then take, you know, 
uh, depression and, um, or excuse me, happiness and contentment and put it in another camp. You know, and just kind of separate the good from the bad and say that's the way it is. It's not that simple. You know that. And so an all or nothing attitude about your emotions, well, that's not helpful because relationships are very complex. It's reductionistic to divide the world just to all good, all bad. Here's the truth. God created this world as good. And our rebellion broke it. And therefore, our world is broken. Our relationships are broken. We're broken. And so within my own life is kind of a mixed bag of goodness and, and brokenness. And that extends to our emotions, you see. And we need to understand that. I'm thinking of the Hebrew people. Um, after they returned from Babylonian exile, when the rebuilding of the foundation of the temple was taking place, here they'd been in Babylon for 70 years. Solomon's temple had been utterly destroyed. They return and the foundation of the rebuilt temple is occurring. And the scripture says in Ezra chapter 3 verse 13 that the young wept because at last they had a temple. They'd, never, they'd only heard of the temple. They'd never actually seen Solomon's temple. And so the young at the ceremony wept because of, okay, now we're finally getting a temple. But the old wept but for a different reason, because it wasn't Solomon's temple. See? And so Ezra 3.13 says, the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So, so who was right? Those who rejoiced or those who wept? Well, both. It's not either or. It's both and. So we, so we have to clear the weeds. We have to starve those unhealthy perspectives that perpetuate unhealthy emotions. And we must remember that you can't just leave the ground bare. Otherwise, the weeds will return. So we need to do some planting and cultivating. And we need to cultivate activities that lead to healthy emotions. And there are three. And the first is this. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Now, just that is an example of how you don't have to innovate to nurture healthy emotions. So, so reading Scripture is a love-shaped ritual which will cultivate healthy emotions. You say, well, where do I start, Pastor? Start with the Psalms. There's 150 of them. Which one? Choose one. Just choose one. Just dedicate yourself to reading like a Psalm a day. So you're good for 150 days, and well, do that again, and you're good for a year. And then come back, and I'll tell you what book to read next. I mean, how about Exodus? Oh, no, we just did that, right? Yeah. No, I'm serious. Psalms is just, uh, uh, there's so much wonderful psychological, spiritual, emotional health in the Psalms. And I'm thinking of Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Did you catch the poetry there? 
walking, standing, sitting. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So, so God's word is given to us that we would delight in it. And then Psalm 1 says, it says, uh, he's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You nourish yourself with the scriptures and your emotional life is going to be strong. Is anybody here feeling fearful today? Well, read Psalm 27. Psalm 27 begins, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Verse 1. In other words, my hope must rest in God. And Psalm 27.3 continues, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Think about that. If King David did not need to fear literal armies, how much more can I claim refuge? So let fear drive you to the word of God because his word is powerful. His word will shape your perspective. His word will draw you into God's grand scheme. And his word will remind us that his plan is by far bigger than ours. Make no mistake, every last word in the Bible wants to change you. Wants to change your mind, your heart, your feelings, your activities. Read your Bible. And understand that this does not mean that reading the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 will just magically dispel your panic attacks. Okay? <laughs> and uh, while I'm on this, let me just, let me, I'll just say this, okay? Take your medicine. <laughs> I have to take my medicine. Take your medicine, okay? So you're not going to hear this pastor say, well, if you really had more faith, throw out all your prescriptions. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> okay, please, all right? <laughs> okay? I don't do that. I would never ask you to do that. Um, what reading your Bible does mean is that if you will, if you will, Expose yourself to the truth and wisdom of God's word regularly over the years. It will make you a different person. Amen. It's like choosing nutritious food. You know, every cell in your body will be affected in ways you were never aware of. And yes, even reading the genealogy of Jesus will remind you that God uses broken people with broken family histories. Read about Rahab, read about Tamar, read about Bathsheba. And God also uses moral failures. It's there in the genealogy. Abraham, Jacob, and David. Read your Bible. Uh, and some of you have asked me about journaling. So here's an idea about logging your thoughts. And I just would have you say, read from the Psalms, start reading one of the Psalms, and then take a notebook and just complete this sentence. Reading this 
this is like a prayer to God. God, reading this makes me feel you are. And then you might have a one word or you might have a page. It's up to you. Okay? Just read your Bible. Number two. Love-shaped habit number two. Go outside. Go outside. Psalm 19.1 says, God's glory is on tour in the skies. That's a, the message parallel, uh, uh, paraphrase. I love that. God's glory is on tour in the skies. Well, most people know that going outdoors is good for you. Uh, and in our digital age, it bears repeating. We probably need to get outside more than we currently do. Um, I was out on my bike yesterday at 5 p.m. <laughs> and at one point, I was out by uh, the airport, and I was on, uh, I was on Church Street uh, there in Savoy. And so I looked to the north, and I saw these ominous dark sheets of rain. To the north, and then to the south, I saw blue sky. It was, it was really amazing. It was God's glory on tour in the sky. It was phenomenal glory that was about ready to soak me, and it did. I thought, well, maybe I can ride around it. Maybe I can ride around the storm. And so it kind of became a game. Uh, <laughs> which I lost, <laughs> but I didn't feel depressed. It was like, it was fun. Wow. I thought, wow, wow, that is really, you're good. <laughs> you're really good. Wow. I exalt me. <laughs> the whole experience reminded me that, you know, I live on a larger stage and in, a, and in a larger story than, than my cluttered desk or cluttered inbox or messy closet or, or the, the four walls of my house. I, I just, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bigger world. And John Piper is a pastor, and he gave this insight. Do you know why there are no windows on adult stores? It's because the owners don't want people looking out at the sky. Because the sky is the enemy of lust. The sky is a great power against lust. Pure, lovely, wholesome, powerful, large-hearted things cannot simultaneously abide in the soul of dark fantasy. So get out of the lonely, boxed-in, dark places and get yourself surrounded by color and beauty and bigness and loveliness. Listen to glorious music. Go see art. Go explore God's spacious creation and exalt him. Wow, that's a love-shaped habit. And then thirdly, learn to complain properly. 
Learn to complain properly. Did you know there's a biblical approved way of complaining? Oh, tell me more, Pastor. Okay, here we go. It's called lament. Lament. So lament is a biblical way of complaining. And it has four components. And as you're reading through the Psalms here in the next few months, you can see these four parts appear. And they're not always linear, but you can see these four sections to uh, uh, many of the Psalms. Turn to God. Bring your complaint to Him. Ask boldly. Choose to trust. So first, turn to God. Uh, consider Psalm 3. It's on page 448. Here's a perfect example in these eight verses of fourfold lament. First, turn to God. Chapter 3, verse 1. That's the word, O Lord! O Lord! So listen, church. There is no emotion you cannot bring to your heavenly Father. Bring your heart to Him. Oh Lord, oh Lord, here I am again with my worries and fears and frustrations. Second, bring your complaint to Him. See, see the main problem with complaining, and, and you know, by that I mean whining and grumbling, it, it's not so much the activity as it is the object. See, we want to complain at people, about people, to people. God says, you bring your complaint to me. In other words, identify in blunt language what you think the problem is. And that's what David does in verses 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, I have enemies who do not believe that you are with me. I have enemies who think I'm a lost cause. God, I'm out of strength. I'm out of time. I'm out of options. I'm out of resources. Turn to God. Bring your complaint to him. And third, act, ask boldly. Ask boldly, verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. When you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Lord, I need your help. Bless me today. Give me peace. Help me trust you. Which leads to the fourth. Choose to trust. Choose to trust. Affirm God's worthiness. No matter what, verse 3, you are a shield. Verse 5, God, I awoke again. I made it to the morning. I made it to morning. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of the many thousands. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. So, so another word for lament is prayer. Cast your cares on God because your God cares for you. So if you just will weed out, if we can just weed out these, these unhelpful perspectives and then feed ourselves, cultivate regular Bible reading, outdoor activity, and, and lament, lament, then over time, over time, like the vineyard, well, God will produce healthy emotions and, and a healthy emotional perspective. And notice I didn't specify which emotions. 
Because you see, Jesus expressed the full range of emotions, didn't he? He was a man of sorrows who for the joy set before him endured the cross. See? And he expressed joy to sorrow and all those emotions in between. And, and so what I'm saying is there's healthy joy and unhealthy joy and there's healthy and unhealthy sorrow and he healthy and unhealthy everything in between. And as we become more and more like Christ, it's not that, it's not that if we become more and more like, like Christ, you know, I'll become more emotionally stable and steady and, and things won't bother me as much. I don't believe that. If we become more and more like Christ, we're going to feel more deeply than we currently feel. You know, we'll feel deeper love for others. We'll feel deeper hatred of evil. We'll feel stronger pity and compassion for those who are perishing. We'll feel more fervent joy in the Lord. So we'll look at a video like that and, you know, we won't be thinking, well, I'm glad I didn't do that. I'm a better person than them. We won't feel that, not if we're growing in Christ. We'll, our heart will break. And then our heart will also just say, oh, God, make me like that 13-year-old. Only you can do that. Oh, only by your grace, you see. So ask yourself, do, you know, do we feel more deeply about the things of God than ever before? Because, because ultimately, healthy emotions are the fruit of what we love. And you are what you love. And Christ's love compels us to act in self-sacrifice. Christ's love brings a hatred of sin that ignites repentance. Christ's love produces a compassion that yields kindness. Christ's love results in a joy that comes from seeing others flourish. Oh. My heart is flooded with happiness when I hear of God's flourishing in and through you. And I just, makes, it makes my heart grateful. And I want that more and more for us. Last question, and then I'll pray. Here it is. If either the adults in that brawl or the 13-year-old were to invite you to their church, whose invitation would you accept? 